it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, July 15th, 2022. Happy Friday and welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I am Guy Benson, your host, Delighted and honored to have each and every one of you here with us between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday. And if you can't listen during those hours, we have a podcast that is on demand and always free of charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All of your program-related needs are there. GuyBensonShow.com, at GuyBensonShow, Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow us on social media. I'm the political editor at townhall.com. I'm a Fox News contributor. Catch me this weekend on Media Buzz and Trey Gowdy's show. Both of those shows are on Sunday on Fox News Channel. The lineup is as follows. We'll get to our first guest here in just a moment. And then in our final hour, Kat Timph will be here. So get ready for that. Brace for impact. Fridays with Kat in the happy hour just after 5 p.m. Eastern. And then in our middle hour... And I will start laying this out in a few minutes. I would like to take some of your phone calls on a topic that I've been thinking about a lot. We've been asking some of our guests about this issue all week. And now I want to hear from you. It deals with Donald Trump, the 2024 election, and even, yes, the midterm elections. So there's the tease of the topic. I will explain much more completely here in a little while but you can jot down if you want to our toll-free number here at the guy benson show to connect with us 833-456-1300 and just stow that away for a little while we'll be taking your calls a bit later in today's show so with that being said as we get underway here i am pleased to welcome back to the program brian Riedel, senior fellow at the manhattan institute and brian good to have you back glad to be back I wanted to bring you on because the number one issue facing Americans is the economy, is inflation. I know that the Democrats want to talk about abortion and guns, and I'm not saying those are unimportant issues. People have very strong views on them. I do as well. But if you look at poll after poll, the number one issue set is what I just mentioned. Gas prices, the cost of everything going up with inflation, People are worried about their own financial situation, their family's financial situation. There are discussions and rumors about the likelihood of a recession now coming. And that is going to be, in my view, and has been the dominant issue ahead of November, despite some of the distractions that some in the media and certainly their friends in the Democratic Party are attempting to sort of throw as chum in the water. But the fundamentals of this election are what they are because of the issues that you're an expert on. And you're at the Manhattan Institute now. You worked for many years on Capitol Hill as a budget wonk, an economic expert. And that's why we wanted to bring you in at the very top of today's show because it has been a dominant story. You looked at the CPI inflation number on Wednesday, worse than expected, 9.1% increase. 
uh, year over year and actually a pretty big monthly jump as well. Then you got the wholesale prices side yesterday, also up more than expected, over 11% year over year, June to June. And it's just ugly out there for the American people. Brian, I want to play for you a few sound bites of what we're hearing from the administration as they try to react to these body blows. Yet more bad news for the American people with polling showing deep data uh, dissatisfaction and people blaming uh, the Biden administration in large measure for what's happening. Let's start with Cut 17 and Brian Dees, who's one of the economic advisors over there in the Biden administration. Here's what he said trying to tamp down concerns over these crooked inflation numbers that came out just this week. Listen to Cut 17. Well, the first thing that I would say is that for that uh, family that's, uh, that is, uh, is thinking about uh, gas at the pump, that uh, one of the things that has happened is over the last 30 days that the, the price of gas has fallen every day. It's about down about 45 cents uh, since it peaked in mid-June. Uh, that wasn't fully reflected in the CPI data for June that came uh, out yesterday. And so that, that data is inherently backward looking. The data is backward looking. Well, well, yes, I mean, it is the June numbers, but it is also the latest batch of data that we have available. Uh, Brian, what do you make of that answer there from Brian Dees? Well, you know, gasoline, uh, even with the drop, that means that in the last 12 months, instead of growing 60 percent, it's grown 48 percent in the last 12 months. So I'm not sure, you know, we're ready to declare victory that it's only up 48 percent. The other thing is, you know, every week or every month before the inflation numbers come out, we're told the worst is over. You know, wage growth has slowed, which, by the way, is generally bad news for a lot of us, not good news. They'll say wage growth has slowed, come Commodities prices are slowing. The worst is over. And then we get hit with another worst month. Um, I mean, as you mentioned last month, if you just annualized the rate of price growth the last month, it would be 16% for the year if we just annualized last month. But we keep getting told the worst is over. And like I said, saying that, you know, instead of growing 60% in the past year, it's grown 48%. You know, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Yeah, and that's the thing. Gas prices, he can say, oh, it's down 40 or whatever he said, 45 cents per gallon. Well, it's still like 450, 470, five dollars, 520. I just paid, I think, 540 something the other day for a gallon of gas yesterday, I believe, if I recall correctly. I mean, these are astronomical numbers. And to say, oh, well, they've come down a little bit, and so it's old data and it's not reflected. I mean, number one, that's the best and most recent data that we have. Number two, even if you, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, my understanding is even if you clear out and totally ignore gas prices and energy prices and a few other uh, painful points on inflation, and you just look at the core inflation number, clearing out some of these things that they say you know aren't being taken into account enough, the core inflation number is extremely elevated and hugely problematic even without that stuff, correct? Correct. Core inflation is up 6% over the past uh, 12 months. And last month, it grew at about a 9% annualized rate. That's excluding volatile energy and food prices. At this point, uh, inflation is broad-based. Uh, airline flights, restaurants, 
uh, groceries, gas, energy, clothes, cars, used cars, you know, just kind of dismissing it as one area or that area. It's really, it's going across the economy, goods, services, everything. Meanwhile, we have the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who's traveling abroad. She was asked about the double whammy of inflation numbers, CPI and PPI, back-to-back, both terrible, historically bad, 40-year highs, worse than expected, and the expectations were already ugly. Her answer in Cut 19 was this. Our greatest challenge today comes from Russia's illegal and unprovoked war against Ukraine. That was reflected in yesterday's CPI data, which showed almost half of the increase coming from higher energy prices. Inflation in the United States remains unacceptably high, and it's our administration's top economic priority to bring it down. So she starts with Putin. She goes, it's mostly energy prices and sort of pointing the finger of blame at Putin, although you were just talking about core inflation. And of course, inflation is going up and up and up and up inexorably ever since Joe Biden was sworn in long before there was the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And you just listen to those talking points, Brian, and it's sort of the same thing every month. It's still unacceptably high. In fact, it's higher despite what Joe Biden says regularly. It is higher here in the United States. Inflation is hotter here in the U.S. than it is in a lot of other advanced countries, even though Biden falsely contends the opposite a lot of the time. And some of that certainly has to come down and boil down to policy. And that's what they don't want to acknowledge, even though some of their more honest, clearly left-leaning Democratic economists have really had no choice but to bow to that reality, whether it's Larry Summers or Steve Ratner or Jason Furman, a few others. Your reaction to what you just heard there from the Treasury Secretary? Yeah, this is what the White House and the administration has been saying for over a year. It's transitory. It's going to go away. It's crescendoed. The worst is over. You know, prices are going to come down soon. They've been saying this for a year and a half, um, and and it, it, it just ends up being empty rhetoric. But as you point out, don't listen to the rhetoric. Look at the policies. The White House has offered virtually nothing policy-wise to reduce inflation. I had an op-ed in yesterday's New York Post exploring the fact that the Democrats have offered no actual specific legislative or regulatory agenda whatsoever to reduce inflation. All they're doing is trying to play the blame game. And in fact, they're trying to push more spending through Congress. They're still limiting oil and gas. They're trying to increase regulations and red tape. They're adding Buy America and Davis-Bacon regulations. They're adding ethanol regulations. For all of their talk about fighting inflation, not only are they offering no solution, they're actually pursuing policies to worsen it. So when the White House says, oh, fighting inflation is our top priority, then how come virtually every economic policy they're pursuing worsens inflation? Well, on that point, Joe Manchin made some news yesterday. Here's the headline from the Wall Street Journal. Manchin won't support climate tax measures in economic package. West Virginia Senator is a key vote as Democrats try to advance agenda. And the story begins, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, the pivotal vote in Democrats' efforts to pass a bill aimed at fighting climate change, told Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer 
that he wouldn't support an economic package that raises taxes or includes climate provisions, according to people familiar with the matter. So this is, once again, Joe Manchin rolling in here and saying, no, enough. We're not going to do this. It's crazy. It is crazy to do all this spending, really, ever, but especially now. It is crazier, I would say, to raise taxes on millions of small businesses, which is what the Democrats were reportedly proposing and prepared to do. Manchin seems to have slammed the brakes on again, saving the country in a lot of ways, maybe saving the Democrats again from themselves. And what he's getting in response, Brian, as you know, is just a torrent of opprobrium and anger. I see that a fellow Democratic senator is questioning whether he should uh, have one of the chairmanships that he has. They're very angry about that. There's talk of primaries right now. And it does seem like the Democrats are in angry disarray yet again, even though what Manchin is doing, I think, is clearly the right decision for the country. Within his base, they are furious, or that party's base, they are furious, which is probably not what the Democrats really need politically right now, which is another thing to blow up on the launch pad, ticking off their base, which has a morale problem already, and the election is less than four months away. He's the only Democrat who's actually taking the anti-inflation rhetoric seriously. You know, again, the, the White House, they're not trying to solve inflation. They're, they're, they see inflation as a communications problem. They see it as a political problem to win the blame game before the election rather than an actual policy problem to solve. And Manchin is the only Democrat who actually sees it as a policy solution to solve. And that's why, you know, as, as you say, he's doing the Democrats a favor because had we passed that five trillion dollar extravaganza a couple years or a couple months ago, we could be looking at inflation much higher. It could be you know well into double digits, and the Democrats would be in a much harder problem. The problem the Democrats face, though is the less they do about inflation, the more they're punting the issue to the Federal Reserve. And the only way the Federal Reserve can solve inflation is by completely slamming the brakes on the economy and putting us into a recession. So the, the, the weaker we are on regulatory tax and spending policy, the more you're counting on the Fed to do it the hard way in a recession. And if the Democrats think they have a political headache now, wait till they put us into a recession in order to stop the inflation that they won't stop themselves. Well, now that you've used the R word, let's end on that topic. I saw a report today that some business owners are saying they're starting to sense from consumers and other indicators that a slowdown is here or at least coming soon. And there's a rampant discussion about the likelihood of a recession here moving forward. It might even be here already. Because some of the official projections coming out from various experts and and Fed boards are that we might be in the midst of, or ready to see rather, the results of another, a second consecutive quarter of negative growth, which is by definition a recession. Where do you come down on that question, Brian, based on uh, your experience in this field? Are we in one? Is one coming? What are the odds of that? What do you see? We may be in one right now. As you mentioned, the the economy contracted in the first quarter. Uh, It it may contract in the second quarter. Two straight quarters usually meets the definition of a recession, although there is some wiggle room. 
the odd thing is jobs are still growing, which would make this one of the odder recessions that we've ever mm -hmm. had. We're still creating about 350,000 jobs a month. What's interesting is if jobs are growing but the economy is shrinking, then by definition it means productivity is collapsing. It means you have more workers producing fewer goods and services. That means productivity is collapsing. If that's the case, keeping us out of a recession means working to increase productivity, which means things like raising taxes and adding more regulations is even more destructive because that will worsen productivity further and push us into a recession even mm -hmm. if jobs are still growing. Yeah, a bit of a toxic stew here. It's like pick your poison, whack-a-mole. And Brian Riedel, we've got to leave it there, but it's a conversation we will be having for quite some time, heading into November and beyond, I suspect. Brian Riedel, Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute, longtime economic and budget staffer and advisor on Capitol Hill. Brian, always appreciate it. Thank you very much, Guy. We are just getting started. I want to get to politics 2022 and beyond. Right after this, we will start to lay out a controversial issue, I think, when we come back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. I'm Guy Benson. There's an interview with former President Trump by journalist Olivia Nuzzi that's getting a lot of attention this week, and understandably so. Trump in this interview, and I'm just going to read from it, says, Look, I feel very confident that if I decide to run, I'll win. He's talking about running for president again in 2024. Trump's saying, if I decide to run, I'll win. That's his view. And the journalist, Nuzzi, wonders what would factor, what would factor into such a decision. Quote, now this is Trump again, in my own mind, I've already made that decision. So nothing factors in anymore. In my own mind, I've already made that decision. He wouldn't disclose what he decided, not at first, but then he couldn't help himself. I would say my big decision will be whether I go before or after, he said. You understand what that means? She said, was he referring to the midterm elections? He repeated after me, quote, midterms. Do I go before or after? That will be my big decision, he said. So President Trump is telling journalists that he has already made up his mind about whether or not he's going to run for president again in 2024. He said he's already made it up. There are no factor decisions that could impact it. He's already made the decision. And if he runs, he's confident he'll win. And then he said the real decision now is does he announce that presidential run before or after the midterm elections coming up in November? Well, I have some thoughts on all of that, and I'd like to share some of them with you when we come back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show. It is Friday. Thanks for being here. GuyBensonShow.com. Our website podcast is free every day on demand, plus bonus Benson on the weekends. So before the break, I quoted from a piece in New York Magazine, an interview done by President Trump with a journalist, where, among other things, he discussed potentially running for the presidency again in 2024. And he said that in his mind, if he runs, he thinks he would win, number one. Number two, he says he has already made up his decision. He's made that call. He's made up his mind already on whether or not he's going to run. And he hinted very heavily, sort of the third point here, that the decision is, yes, he's going to run, and really the only thing left that he has to come down on one side or the other on is whether he's going to announce his pursuit of the presidency before the midterms, so in the next couple of months, or after the midterms are over. So that leads me to believe, my suspicion now for a very long time, is that he is planning to run. That he has effectively already made that call. And I think we need to now grapple with the likely, if not inevitable, reality of another Trump run for the White House. Now, let me just pause here for a moment And if you're new to the show, I will just once again put my cards on the table. And you might not like my cards. You might disagree with me, and that's fine. But I think I owe it to you to be very clear about what I believe. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm not pretending that I'm neutral on some of these questions and then trying to influence you because I actually have an agenda or I have an opinion. No, I absolutely have opinions on this. So I'm going to put those out there so you know. You can take that information, do with it what you will, take my analysis or commentary on these matters, maybe with a grain of salt, maybe you'll agree strongly with me, maybe not. I've never been a Trump guy. I've not been bashful about that. When he was president, I was not never Trump. I was not always Trump. Because it seems like there are some pretty hardcore feelings about him, or even people who had been on the center-right their whole lives and careers. They didn't like him, they couldn't vote for him, and then once he won and became president, they decided to join the resistance and oppose everything that he did no matter what. Even if he was doing things that they would have said year after year, decade after decade, this is great. These are big conservative accomplishments. Because it was him, they couldn't bring themselves to say one good word. That was not me. What's the point of that? Do you actually believe anything? It's like, the res- like a reverse cult of personality, where you're so obsessed with hating the personality that you don't even 
adhere to your own principles anymore or your own beliefs or the things that you want to see happen ostensibly, at least, in the country. I found that odd. Then there were the people, including a lot of folks who were against Trump, who were never Trumpers, who then got co-opted and became full-time Trump apologists, where they would basically defend or excuse everything the guy did or said. And I was not going to do that either. I was going to praise him for the things that I thought were good, and there was a lot of them. I can run down the list. Probably at the very top of that list is the Supreme Court. Three superb picks on an extremely consequential front. And then moving the embassy in Jerusalem, the deregulation, the tax cuts. I mean, you you go through, and I think that there's a lot of things that he did that I really liked. Outcomes. So when he was doing the right thing, I was there to applaud. When he was doing the wrong thing, I picked my spots. I didn't want to just, you know, lash out at the guy all the time or seem like I was dumping on him. But there were some examples along the way where I felt like, no, I have to call this out. I want to be intellectually honest and consistent, and so I'm going to criticize this. And I know I would tick off a lot of people when I would praise him, and then I'd tick off different people when I would criticize him. And you know what? I just feel like that is part of my job. I want you to trust that I am truly telling you what I believe, even if you disagree. I'm not going to play a character on TV or on the radio or in my writing or on Twitter or whatever because I think it will get the most clicks or likes or fans or whatever. That's not how I view the purpose of my career. Personally, this is just how I approach my job. And so when I would criticize him, again, I would pick those spots, and sometimes it was inevitable. And I've been very vocal, for example, about January 6th and how horrible I thought that was and the election lies, and I hold the president, the former president, largely, chiefly responsible for what happened. So that's where I come down. That was my overall approach to Donald Trump as president. And it absolutely colors and impacts my analysis or my personal feelings as well when it comes to this potential slash very likely 2024 presidential run by Trump. I tend to agree with Britt Hume, who was on the show this week. I asked him about it. In Cut 26, Britt said this. Listen. Look, let's face it. Donald Trump is the Democrats' best hope for 2024 and maybe even for 2022. I tend to believe that the Democrats are in huge trouble for 2024. Just look at the mess that we're in. Look at the internecine fight that they're having. Are they going to uproot a sitting president who might want to run for re-election? If so, Kamala Harris, really? If not her, then what, Buttigieg? Gavin Newsom? I'll have more to say about him coming up in the next hour. So I think in, there could be a recession coming, if not you know, soon, it might be here already. Who knows how long that could last, what the tail would look like on inflation and or recession. We were talking with Brian Riedel about that at the start of the show. I think the Democrats are in a tough spot, obviously, for 22 this November, and they could be in a pretty tough spot two years from now. And I think one of the best things that could happen to them is to have a 2024 presidential election that is a referendum not on the previous four years, but the four years before that. 
and really the very end of the Trump presidency. Trump is willing to talk endlessly about the 2020 election, which is over. He lost it. I know there are some people who don't believe that he lost. I believe that the evidence clearly and conclusively shows that he lost. He's not president, so whether you agree or not is almost irrelevant. He's not the president. Joe Biden is. And so when you see Trump not only willing to talk about the 2020 election and go back and constantly relitigate that, it's not a willingness, it's an eagerness. He cannot help himself but to pound away at the issue because it's like a matter of personal pride for him. It's an ego thing. And you know who else loves talking about January 6th and the election of 2020? The Democrats and the media. It's a weird thing where the Democrats and the media and Donald Trump are all on the same page, which is, yes, please, let's talk about 2020 and January 6th as much as possible. I don't think that's good for the country, and I also don't think it's good for the Republican Party and for the Republicans' chances of winning. There's a lot to fight right now. The Democrats are in charge of everything. And look at what we're experiencing in this country. It's crazy town to be looking back two years ago at a lost election and having this big fight over whether it was truly lost or whatever, and then going after and attacking Republicans who weren't sufficiently loyal, wouldn't help steal an election. That's been this sort of personal vendetta we've seen from Trump. And in some cases, it's been successful driving people out of politics. In some cases, not, like Brian Kemp winning the Republican primary in Georgia big. About 70-some-odd percent of the Republican primary vote down there. And I saw a poll out this week that has him up seven, another poll that has him up nine against Stacey Abrams in the general in Georgia. Do we want the 2024 election to be about Donald Trump, his grievances, and 2020? That might sound great to him. It might sound great to the Democrats. It might be a lifeline to them. And it would certainly be just the biggest wet dream of all time for the news media. They could not get enough of it. All of the audience that they've lost, it's like, here we go. Here's the content machine. Just, you know. Get it revved back up. Here we go. They would love it. I think in terms of putting the Republican Party in the best position to win and possibly win big in 2024, in my mind, does not entail Donald Trump at the top of the ticket again or on the ticket. He would never he would never be at the bottom of the ticket. Let's be clear. I don't believe that would be wise. The amount of baggage you can't even it's like it's like huge luggage with Donald Trump. He is so polarizing. Joe Biden's unpopular. So is Donald Trump. You look at head-to-head polling, and a lot of them, Biden, even in this state, with his horrible approval rating, which he has richly earned, he would still lead Trump head-to-head. And I think a lot of the people who have been more interested, and yes, Trump, I will give him credit, deserves some of it for bringing new people into the Republican Party who would not be in the Republican Party, if not for Trump. No doubt about that. But some of the people who have left the Republican Party or now currently unwilling to vote for Republicans because of him, winning some of those folks back is going to be crucial in some of the states that Trump lost in 2020. He threaded the needle in 2016 to beat Hillary Clinton in the Electoral College, lost the popular vote, 
by millions. That's not the relevant metric, of course. But Hillary Clinton, arguably the worst presidential candidate of my lifetime, won millions more votes than Donald Trump. And then Trump lost to Joe Biden, who could be worse than Hillary as a campaigner, who sat in a basement and won because people were tired of Donald Trump and the drama and all of it. Trump won a ton of votes, a hell of a lot of votes, the second most ever to Joe Biden. It was a referendum on Trump, and the people chose Biden, and I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse. You might say, okay, well, let's do a rematch here. I think Biden and the Democrats would welcome that. I think there are other Republicans, plural, clear of a lot of that baggage, who would be in a much better position to continue Trump's legacy and a lot of the big wins he put on the board without all of the drama. Trump will be 78 years old by the time the 2024 election rolls around. It's not really an age thing. It's a performance. You know, some people are quicker and slower. And I mean, look at Biden and Trump. And there's there's a big difference there, even though they're both older. I don't think it's just about age. But there's also about like, you know, the past versus the future, turning the page, turning a corner, a new era, looking forward. I think that's important. And I think nominating Trump would be the opposite of all of that. So, unless I'm not being crystal clear, obviously I do not want Donald Trump to run for president again. That may matter not at all. Sounds like Trump's already made up his mind to do it. At least that's what he is heavily intimating in this interview that we've been quoting. But then there's this other piece of it, which is, should Donald Trump, if he has already decided the die is cast, he's running. You know, how would a primary work out? Who could beat him? That's another conversation for another day. I'm not interested in having that right now. This is a yes-no question on him. If in his mind the answer is yes, and he's going to come out and say, yep, I want the job again, I'm running for president again, then, as he says explicitly in this interview with Olivia Nuzzi, his decision is whether he announces his presidential run in the next few months before the midterm elections or after the midterm elections. This was a subject that I asked Newt Gingrich about, the former Speaker of the House, yesterday, or was it the day before? Here was Newt on that question, cut 25. I think it would be a mistake to announce before the election. I think the focus of this election should be on the absolute total failure of the Democrats and of big government socialism. And nothing Republicans should do uh, should take people's attention away from that failure. And I think the minute that uh, Trump were to announce you would just be in all sorts of news stories that would not help elect Republicans. It would take it would take the heat off the Democrats and give the news media an excuse uh, to try to maximize Republican dissent and the, you know Republican confusion. Every word of that, in my mind, is correct from Newt Gingrich. Now, why would Trump announce before the midterms? He might, in his mind, believe that that would help him be in the driver's seat. I think he already would be in the driver's seat. Not that he couldn't be expelled by someone else. It would take a lot, but it's possible. But he might think if he gets in earliest, he could clear out some of the field a little bit and assert dominance early. There's a strong case, I think, to be made that it would hurt him announcing this early. But in his mind, maybe he thinks that would be to his advantage. Sounds like he's kind of like having a tug of war internally on that question. I think some of it is just pure ego. There are people out there talking excitedly about other people. 
Whether it's Ron DeSantis or anyone else, I think Trump doesn't like that. He feels like he's the big dog and he should be forever. And therefore, it ticks him off that there's other people talking in a positive way about other people. And he's like, no, I'm the future. I'm the past, present, and future. It's me. And he wants to make that point as clear as soon as possible. I also think he believes correctly that Republicans are going to win the midterm elections. So he wants to announce before that and then take credit for the wins that are going to happen no matter what. I would say his entrance into the race would perhaps imperil some seats. There's no way of proving this, maybe, you know, with exit polling later. I think the Republicans are going to win back the House. They have a chance at the Senate. There are some swing races that could be impacted negatively. If Trump becomes a central issue in the 2022 midterms, where the central issue should be Joe Biden and the failure of these Democrats who run Washington, D.C., that and that alone, Trump stomping in. And the rumor is August or September he could do it, a few months ahead of an election, being like, hey, I'm here. The media will go wild with that. Tons of questions about Trump constantly for these Republicans who are just trying to beat the Democrats. So I think it would be a very selfish thing of Trump to do, if he's going to do it, to do it before the midterm elections. And bad for the party. He might not care, but that's how I see it. And I think it's sound analysis. I've got a break. We'll take a break. Come back, and then I want to lay out some questions for you and take your calls on The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Okay, I've set the table. I've given you my perspective. And now it's your turn. Write down the phone number. Here we go. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Simple question. Do you want Donald Trump to run for president in 2024? Yes or no? And if the answer is yes, do you want him to announce before the midterms, these next couple of months, or do you want him to wait? And why? Your thoughts on Trump 2024. Should it happen? And if so, when? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Your toll-free connection to The Guy Benson Show. Taking your calls in the next hour as soon as we come back. 833-456-1300 on The Guy Benson Show. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. It's a brand new hour on this Friday on the Guy Benson Show. Glad you are here each and every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern and around the clock on demand for free on our podcast. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. FoxNewsPodcast.com, another option, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. You can check us out on social media. In my role here at Fox on the TV side, I'll be joining Media Buzz this coming Sunday morning with Howie Kurtz and then Trey Gowdy's show in the evening, also on Sunday, both of those programs on Fox News Channel. Fox News Alert. 
As we begin the hour, the Dow surges big time today, up 658 points at the close, ending at 31,288. Here's our phone number at The Guy Benson Show, 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Sometimes we'll put out a call topic, and it'll be a little slow. A few calls trickle, and we get rolling, and then there's a flood of calls. Not today. The lines are packed already. All of our lines are full, but keep trying. 833-456-1300. And here's the question. President Trump, the former president, in an interview has said he's already decided, he's made up his mind whether he's going to run in 2024. And he very heavily hinted that he is going to run, and the only decision left is whether to announce now, before the midterm elections, or after. So I asked you, should he run in 24? I believe he should not. That's my position, just to be transparent. If he does run, or you do want him to, should he announce it before or after the midterms? With my position being, if he's going to do it, I'd prefer him to announce later after the midterms and make November completely a referendum on the Democrats. What do you think? 833-456-1300. The phones are busy, so let's get started with Paul in California, who is up first. Paul, welcome. I think my dream scenario would be, yes, he runs, he announces after the midterms, He absorbs all the vitriol and hate from the left and then at the last minute pulls out, leaving the way clear for DeSantis or whoever the front runner is. Oh, interesting. He he doesn't have the moral character or the self-sacrificial nature to do that, but that's what I'd love to see. So so take all the, you know, slings and arrows for a while, suck up the oxygen, then not actually go through with it. And then it's someone else. Interesting, Paul. A very intriguing start to the caller topic today. Thanks for that. 833-456-1300. Let's see. Mac is in Virginia. You're up next. Mac, thank you for listening. Yep. Uh, I want to see him run. Uh, In 2024, he should announce after the the midterms because, you know, basically let the guys um, run on their own platform. Uh, so that's what I see happening. I think Trump uh, is a good president. I like his policies. It's just his bad thing is to wish he just control his mouth. That's his worst enemy. And then yeah, which... I think that if uh, Trump and DeSantis would be an awesome uh, candidate for – Yeah, a ticket. Thank you. Ticket. All right. Well, that's interesting, Mac. And, you know, the Trump's mouth gets him into trouble. It also got him where he is. Right. So there's a double edged sword there. A lot of people who like Trump say, I wish he would dial it back. But he is what he is. And we know what he is. And he's not going to change in his late 70s. So that's something I think people need to think about. But, Mac, I think a lot of people share the perspective that you just brought here. Thank you for the call. 833-456-1300. Let's go all the way to Hawaii and Cynthia. Aloha, Cynthia. Thanks for listening. Aloha. I voted for Trump twice. I would vote him for a third time, but I believe there are others as strong as he, and um, he has too much baggage, and these people do not have as much baggage. So I would rather he did not run, and if he does announce, I'd wish it to be after midterms. Okay, that makes sense. So in other words, you wouldn't really mind to see him as president again, but you think that there might be better people to run in 2024. Is that roughly correct? Correct. Without the baggage he has, yes. Got it. 
All right, Cynthia, in Hawaii, glad you're out there and listening. Appreciate the call. 833-456-1300. Toll free, direct here to the Guy Benson Show. What do you think? Trump 2024, yay, nay? If he's going to go for it, should he wait to announce or do it now? 833-456-1300. Let's go to John in Atlanta in extra territory. John, welcome. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I think you should run definitely. I think after the midterms, and I think this country is going to be in worse shape than we've ever been in. And some baggage is good. This guy has done it all before, and there are bad people out there in this world that we're getting ready to fight. I think we need somebody that's done it before and can prove they can get the job done. Running for office doesn't mean you can do the job. So let me ask you, John, just a quick follow-up. You think he should announce after the midterm elections, not before. Why? Why do you want him to wait? I, I think the clatter and the noise, just like you're saying, is too much. I think we've got good points to win the Congress and possibly the Senate without him and going into any kind of election collusion, any kind of Russian stuff. And um, I think we can do it on our own without him being in the way, actually. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right, John. Thanks for the candor. Thanks for that perspective. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. How are we feeling about this, folks? Let's see. New York City, Rebecca is up next. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, I think that it would be a good idea if he did run, but I don't think so. I think what he has to do is be like Obama and work behind the scenes. So you want him to sort of be a kingmaker within Republican politics, working behind the scenes but not running again? Right. Okay. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. 833-456-1300. He could be a kingmaker. Right? He could very much help someone else be president. Does he have that? in him is he willing to do that i don't know 833-456-1300 linda calling all the way am i seeing this correctly from france linda are you calling from france yes i am oh well thank you for doing that what do you think about this i am well i listen to you all the time all right i'll already tell you so i voted for trump the past two elections the reason why i did it was because i wanted it to be against the cast basically the system I wanted to shake it up, and I wanted to see somebody that actually had business experience do something. However, I do not want to see him run again. Why? For many reasons. Are you still there? Um, yeah, yep. because there's a lot of baggage, and he's created a lot of that for himself. But the thing is, is that what I actually and, – and the only way we're going to get him to not do this – is to entice him into something that's going to be humiliating to his worst enemy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that's some of the games I guess you might have to play. But, Linda, I think there's a lot of Trump voters out there, two-time Trump voters, who agree with you, which is why I think this is such a fascinating question, and we're getting such a massive response here in the calls. And thank you for listening over in Europe. That is awesome, Linda. 833-456-1300. Let's see here. Adam in Jacksonville, Florida. Let's go to the northern part of the Sunshine State. Adam, hello. Hi, how's it going? Yes, I want Trump to go for it again. Uh, I think he's got what it takes. He's already proven himself. But I think I definitely don't want a teleprompter president. Uh, And as far as I think you should wait till the dust settles uh, with this midterm. Do you want to kind of stay out of the way until... 
you know, uh, November, end of November, even early next year, if he's going to do it? Yes. Yeah, he shouldn't okay. say anything. Keeps the mouth shut. If he were to run again, Adam, would you be a locked-in supporter of his no matter what, or would you give consideration to some of the other Republicans in the primary? I think that I am totally 100%. Uh, I think he needs a rematch, and he was setting this country right the first four years, and I think he's got another four years to do it uh, just to correct the okay. wrongs that were made. All right, so he's a Trump guy through and through. Adam, thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. 833-456-1300. On we go to Connecticut. Waterbury, Aaron, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Hi. No, I would not like like to see him run again. I voted for him in 16 and in 20. I thank him for everything that he's done, but I think I agree with the baggage. And also, he can only run for one term, and we are in such turmoil, one term is not going to do it. Oh, interesting, because he would be term limited at that point. That That's a perspective, actually, I hadn't really thought about in this context, but I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you called another two-time Trump voter. Thank you, sir, but let's move on. And we're getting sort of this back and forth down the middle here. Yes, he should run or no, he shouldn't. I'm seeing almost everyone saying he should wait to run or to announce that he's going to run. I haven't seen almost anyone on the board who wants him to announce soon. 833-456-1300. Let's go to Pennsylvania, the Keystone State. Bryce, hello. Hey, Guy, this is Bryce. Yeah, I um, hey. I think, hey, hey, I'd like to see him uh, run again from a policy standpoint, obviously from a public relations standpoint. Um, you know, he wasn't our finest speaking president, but um, I, I really think uh, we could, you know, amend some of that, honestly, if we had something like a, a wild card like Ivanka uh, kind of run and carry his policy, but in a little bit prettier package. Interesting. Are there other people not named Trump? Because in my mind, Ivanka's a little bit left for my personal taste as a conservative. Are there other people out there who might run that you'd at least consider? Or it sounds oh, like yeah. you'd be open to shopping around. Yeah, open. I mean, uh, Donald Trump Jr. would be a good one. Uh, I mean, obviously, DeSantis is a, is a top runner there. So, uh, all right, all right, Bryce, pretty good. Well, thanks, thanks for listening out there in Pennsylvania. We do appreciate it. Eight three three four five six thirteen hundred. Interesting calls, and the moment a call comes off the board, the phone starts ringing again. You all have thoughts on this? Eight three three four five six thirteen hundred. Let's see. Uh, Anthony in California. Anthony, what do you think about this? Um, yeah, I think he should run. I um, We need to have Trump in the office. I, I I was hoping that he would run back in the 80s when, you know, in 90s. And I've always been watching him, and I thought we'd need a businessman. We need somebody who would come in and um, shake things up and, and do the right thing, do the business thing, do something so that's he, good for he, the country. Anthony, if he were to run again in 2024, do you care if he announces sooner or later, before or after the midterms? Do you have a thought on that? I think he should definitely uh, after the after the November elections. Got it. Okay. All right, Anthony. Eight three three four five six thirteen hundred. Let's take a quick break. Calls are just pouring in here to the Guy Benson Show. Eight three three four five six thirteen hundred. Should Trump run? Do you want to see him run again for president? And if he's going to do it, should he announce sooner or should he wait? Till after the midterm elections. More of your calls straight ahead. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
It's the Guy Benson Show. Our toll-free number here, 833-456-1300. Former President Donald Trump telling a reporter this week that he has made up his mind whether he's going to run or not for the presidency again. And then hinted that the answer is yes. And his only real choice now is whether he's going to announce before the midterms or after. The question for you is, do you want him to run? Do you want to support him again in 2024? Do you want it to be someone else? And if he's going to run, when when should he announce on the timeline? 833-456-1300. The phones are packed. Diane, Staten Island, New York. Welcome. Hi. Um, in answer to your question, I voted for him twice. I loved him. I loved his policies. However, it's time to change the guard. He brings too much baggage with him, and I'm afraid we're going to have another four years of the same thing, and, and, and I just I don't think that it's good for the country at this point. I think Ron DeSantis is, is a much better option because he's a lot like him. I mean, if Trump is the candidate, I would vote for him, but I really hope that he doesn't run. I'm hoping that his ego says, man, you might lose again. Don't run again. And if he is going to run, I hope he announces it after the midterms. Good call, Diane. Very succinct, thought through position. Many of you agree. Many of you disagree. 833-456-1300. Let's find someone who disagrees. In fact, Lawrence is in Atlanta listening on Extra, our affiliate down there. Hi, Lawrence. How are you doing? Very well, thank I, you. I think Trump should run again. He should wait until after the midterms to announce it. And the perfect scenario would be Trump Santa's ticket. DeSantis ticket. Trump All would right. get four years. After his four years, DeSantis would get eight years. Easy. All right, Lawrence in Atlanta. Appreciate the call. Thank you for listening. Eight three three four five six thirteen hundred. Scott in Maryland in the DMV. You're up, Scott. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I thought your analysis was excellent. I do not think that he should run. He was the right person probably at the right time when he uh, ran in 16. Uh, He should not run, but if he decides to run, it should definitely be after the midterms. I'd rather see him decide not to run, endorse DeSantis, be a rainmaker for the party, and then you've got potentially two terms or eight years with DeSantis. All right, Scott in Maryland, appreciate it. Thanks for the call. 833-456-1300, just blowing through these calls. Want to hear from as many of you as possible. The phone's going crazy, lighting up. Chris, St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi. Hi. Glad to hear, glad to talk to you here. Um, I'm not as together verbally and, and mentally as everybody else is. It's called in. I'm all over the place, whether we should, whether we shouldn't. I'm surrounded by everyone in doctrine here in St. Louis with family and friends. I lost a lot of friends over that the last election, and because I look people in the eye and I tell them, I tell them, if you did not vote for Donald Trump in that last election, you voted for this mess. And all their eyes roll up in their head and they throw their arms up and all that, but they did. Every one of you did that did not vote for Donald Trump in this past election. Okay. Now, now, Chris, what do you want him to run again, though, is the question. Is the question. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be smart enough to decide that for Donald Trump. He's a man I would trust to be a kingmaker in the background. I, I totally would. You know, he's so basically it comes down. It comes down to him. And but the kingmaker thing, we've heard that a few times. I think that's intriguing. That's interesting. Chris, thanks for that call. Let's go to another Chris calling from New Jersey, my home state. Hello, Chris. Welcome. Hi. Um, I am a Trump supporter completely and 100%. I don't want him to run, though. I 
think he's got too much baggage. I would love to see him as a uh, congressman. He could be the new, better uh, Nancy Pelosi as a congressman. And the overall goal is to win the election. So if he is such a kingmaker here in the Republican Party and he really cares about the nation, I think he can put this together and easily pick um, whoever he would endorse, be it um, Nancy. He'd be be hugely, hugely influential regardless of what he decides, Chris. But the word that I've heard here a couple different times is baggage. It keeps coming up, even from people who voted for him twice before. We're almost up on the break, and then we're moving on. But just quickly, Lois in California says she would like him to run only if he can win. John in Florida says Trump should run, but announce after the midterms. Paul in Queens, New York City, says he would get demolished in the debates. Trump would. Jackie in Atlanta would not vote for him. Sam, Indianapolis, says Trump should not run. Denise in Florida says Trump, yes, he should run. And Ray in Washington, D.C., believes that Trump should run as well. Calls keep coming in. But we are up on a break. And again, moving on to a different topic, but a related one. We'll talk about Florida when we come back on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Halfway through today's show, thanks for being here, GuyBensonShow.com, podcast free every day. I wanted to address something that I saw from last week. I was on vacation, didn't get around to it, but wanted to because I think it's very much worth it. And there continue to be news hooks related to this. I had seen some viral social media posts regurgitating a false attack against Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. There was a piece written in Salon, which is this crazy left-wing blog, that said that DeSantis was going to force Florida students and professors to take a survey on their political views. And people were like, this is authoritarianism and fascism run amok under Ron DeSantis. Problem is, this was also a claim made last year, and it was untrue then as well, And it was just, for some reason, picked up by a bunch of people and recirculated for no apparent reason. And even left-leaning PolitiFact, which is a Democrat-aligned fact-checker, they would not say that they're Democrat-aligned, but functionally they are. Even they looked at this claim and found it to be false back in 2021, noting that the survey, which was about diversity of thought on campuses, was, quote, anonymous and voluntary, and therefore they rated the statement and the claim false. But it started making the rounds again. And it just reminds me of how often these people come after DeSantis, even if it means recycling debunked garbage. That's what 60 Minutes did with their complete fake hit job about vaccine distribution in the state. Remember that? They parachuted into Florida, and they ran a story that had already gone through the gauntlet in the local press and was found to be wrong. And they got their rear ends handed to them, 60 Minutes did, by DeSantis and even some of the Democrats who were involved in the whole process saying, this is wrong, we told them it was wrong, they didn't listen, they aired it anyway. There is a fear and loathing of Ron DeSantis in the national Democratic ethos among the base among a lot of politicians in the Democratic Party, and then, of course, within the national press, 
which is also increasingly activist and brazen in their alignment with the Democrats. And I think one of DeSantis's secret strengths, maybe not so secret, is the adversaries and enemies that he has. They are so obviously hostile toward him and afraid of him as a national political figure that they can't help themselves but to elevate him with their constant attacks. And that's a foil that he has been using to great effect, very much to his advantage. And yet they keep doing it, even if it means dredging up claims that have already been disproven, even by the likes, as I said, of PolitiFact. Now, I mention all of this because there's more buzz about him running in 2024. He's doing fundraisers in places like Utah and New York. He's got a huge war chest already for his gubernatorial campaign. People are speculating, I don't think incorrectly, that he's got his eye on the next prize, potentially. Of course, he has to win first in Florida this November. I think he will. We don't see a ton of polling out of that race, weirdly. It's been quite a long time, at least since I've seen a new poll. But there is one out this week, not of the governor's race, but of a potential matchup with Donald Trump in a Republican primary in Florida in 2024 for president. And in this poll, which is a pollster I'd never heard of, so all the caveats, in this poll, DeSantis was leading Trump by double digits in his home state, although it's now both of their home state. I would caution against taking that to the bank. It's awfully early. Again, it's a pollster I haven't heard of, but we've seen a few of these popping up at conservative events, straw polls. There is a poll out of New Hampshire that we talked about on this show. Now this one out of Florida. It's sort of interesting. Now, relatedly, someone who is clearly trying to pick a fight and has been aggressively pursuing a battle with DeSantis is the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Newsom is, I think, just on the merits in terms of outcomes, one of the worst governors in the country. He's a preening culture warrior. He presides over, in many ways, a failing deep blue state from which people are fleeing for the first time in history. Amazingly, Newsom was in D.C. this week to receive an education award from a national organization on education innovation. What did he innovate? Closing schools? Was that the big innovation? There was a study that showed of the 50 states, California was dead last on in-person learning for students during the pandemic. 50th out of 50. Think about the immense amount of harm being inflicted upon the children of California for a year and a half in many places with closed schools, even as schools were open and thriving in many other places like Florida and even some private schools in California, where Gavin Newsom sent his own kids, by the way. No, but if you're in the government schools, tough luck. You're locked out of classrooms for a year and a half. The worst harm in the country on that front, very bad results on reading proficiency, for example, worse academic outcomes despite a huge budget and a per-student cost. A lot of these red states have much lower per-pupil spending and better results, not California. That's not how they roll. It's a state completely dominated by unions. And then this guy, the governor, of all people, gets called to Washington to receive an award on education. It is just, you can't make it up. It is so galling, but also illustrative. They are proud of what they've done. They would do it again. 
And I don't know if anything will wake them up. Glenn Youngkin's election in Virginia didn't. I saw a story this week that Randy Weingarten and her teachers union actually commissioned a poll on the issue of education. And they asked, which party do you trust more on education? And traditionally, historically, this has been a big double digit, like 20, 25 point advantage for the Democrats. So here was a left wing teachers union that backs Democrats, that controls policy, that meddled in the science in order to keep schools closed and to keep kids masked for a very long time, despite the data, despite the science, this Randy Weingarten union spent money to get a Democratic pollster to poll on the question, and guess what? Republicans actually have a one-point lead in the union's own poll on education. I guess when you basically abuse kids enough and broadcast that you don't really believe that school in-person instruction is essential— and you put the selfish desires of a union over the demonstrated needs of children over and over again, that is enough to close a gap of 20 to 25 points. So congratulations, Democrats, Randy Weingarten and company, very much including Gavin Newsom. You've really achieved something quite remarkable here. So Newsom's out there taking pot shots at Florida every chance he can get. It's not subtle. I think he wants to be president. He knows that a lot of his party disenchanted with Biden. We've talked about the polling. They're looking around, kicking the tires for someone else, and he's trying to make a play for them. He's running ads. Newsom is. He's paying to run ads attacking DeSantis in Florida, in Florida, which is just a troll. He's on social media, on Trump's platform, trolling Trump supporters. He's trying to make a play for the Democratic base demonstrating to them that he is a fighter who will go on offense or whatever. So time and time again, he's lobbing these bombs over at DeSantis. I actually asked DeSantis about it when we interviewed him a couple months ago down in Tallahassee, and he jumped all over the question. He was more than happy to rumble. It's like, all right, if Gavin Newsom wants to go there, let's go there. And he did. So then last week, this was the audio I wanted to get to, a reporter in Florida at an event asked DeSantis about the latest round, the latest barrage of criticisms from Gavin Newsom, and DeSantis was loaded for bear. You think he was ready for this question? Listen, starting with Cut 27. Look, I'm just like this. Everyone wants to talk about me in Florida. I mean, like, I'm just sitting here, little old me, doing my job. I can just tell you this. Uh, I was born and raised in this state, and until the last few years... I rarely, if ever, saw a California license plate in the state of Florida. You now see a lot of them. I can tell you, if you go to California, you ain't seeing very many Florida license plates. And so, you know, as, as he was locking down his citizens, he would then go and have these extravagant dinners at the French Laundry uh, to basically rub his citizens' noses in the fact that he was treating them like peasants. Treating them like peasants. And apparently they liked it because they reelected him in that recall by 30 points. That's how far gone California is. I don't think the rest of the country is really on board, though. DeSantis was not done, not even close. Cut 28. You know, in Florida, we weren't locking them down. We lifted our people up. We made sure. We made sure to protect individuals' freedoms. We wanted to, we guaranteed everybody to have a right to work. 
to earn a living, put food on the table. We guaranteed the right of small businesses in particular to be able to operate, uh, and that saved hundreds of thousands of jobs and many thousands of businesses from going under. Uh, we guaranteed every uh, person, every parent had the right to have their kids in school in person five days a week starting at the very beginning of this back in 2020. In California, they locked kids out of school and they had the lowest, according, according to the website that, that tra uh, tracked this, burbio.com, they had the lowest percentage of in-person learning of any state in the country in 2020-2021 school year because the teachers union run that state it's not run for the best interest of parents and kids it's run for that absolutely so he's talking about all right if you want to come at me on policy let's talk about jobs let's talk about the economy let's talk about preserving people's rights in the middle of the pandemic let's talk about doing what is in the best interest of children and not unions you want to go there great then he turned to crime, which is low-hanging fruit when it comes to California. Cut 29, Governor DeSantis still firing back. You also look at how we support law enforcement in the state of Florida. We would never allow what's happened in places like San Francisco and L.A., where these areas have been destroyed with drugs and crime and homeless, uh, to happen. Uh, we take those that seriously, and we believe when people commit crimes, they belong behind bars, not released back onto the street. I would also just note that um, in Florida, uh, we've actually had, even through COVID, have had a tourism, domestic tourism boom. Uh, 2021, uh, we did better than we did pre-COVID. Uh, and so far in the first quarter of 2022, uh, we're, far, we're also ahead of where we were in the first quarter of 2021. Now, it's not surprising that the governor of Florida would have these stats memorized about his own state, but he also had at his fingertips to compare and contrast the California numbers, to throw right back at Gavin Newsom, and he went there and cut 30. You want to look at tourism in California? 2021 decreased 22% from 2019. Well, of course. Do you want to have to show medical papers just to go get a bite to eat somewhere? Of course you don't. Do you want them forcing you to wear a mask every time you leave your, your hotel room? No, people don't want to do that. So that's one of the reasons uh, why we're able to do it. And if you look at air traffic, um, this is interesting. You know, our air transportation now, uh, the most recent 12 months, April 21 through March 22, uh, is actually up over the same period, 2018, 2019. And that's very rare in any place in the country. You look at the major hubs in California, they're down like 31%, you know, over this time period. And so, um, you know, I think the facts speak for themselves. People vote with their feet. I love how prepared DeSantis was for this. He is spoiling for the fight that Newsom believes is in his best interest to pick. And DeSantis is like, bring it on. And he brought it home in Cut 31. And, you know, Florida has always been a place, as many of you know, you, many of you probably have roots in other parts of the country. It's natural for people to retire from, like, Ohio or Michigan, come down here to southwest Florida or New York to go down to places like Palm Beach. But when families are uprooting from the Pacific coast to go almost 3,000 miles in search of a better life, that's telling you something. Yes, we've created a, a citadel of freedom here that has attracted people, and we're proud of it. But let's just be clear, California is driving people away with their terrible governance. 
some of the best weather in the world in Southern California. They have some of the best natural advantages, probably the best natural advantages of any state in this country. And for the entire history of California, they never lost population until this recent governor uh, got into office. And now they're hemorrhaging population. Uh, it's almost hard to drive people out of a place like California, given all their natural advantages. And yet they're finding a way to do it. Whew. Swing and a drive. It's like Gavin Newsom decided, all right, I want to be president. Let me needle and prick Ron DeSantis as often as I can. And DeSantis is like, all right, man, bleep around and find out. He was ready. And boy, did he show it. And if you just close your eyes for a moment and you imagine the 2024 presidential election potentially turning in to a national referendum on whether we want to make America California or make America Florida, I think that is a debate and a political fight that conservatives and Republicans would be delighted to have. Bring it on. The Guy Benson Show continues after this short break. The Guy Benson Show. More next. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. So Boris Johnson is going to be stepping aside as the leader of the Conservative Party in the U.K. So there's going to be a new prime minister. So they're changing horses mid-race over on the Tory side. And there's a bunch of people running who want to be the next prime minister, the next leader of the party. I'm not informed enough to have any opinion on who it ought to be. But in the course of this debate, I saw an interview given by one of the women who has her hat in the ring. Her name is Camille Badenoch. She's a member of parliament. She's black. And she was giving an interview on race-related issues and identity politics. And I will just say, via a buddy of mine, Darren Grimes, who's a commentator over there, I like the cut of her jib. I tweeted it yesterday. You should go back and watch it. She put on a clinic. Here's a taste. Cut 34. The difference between someone like me and the Dane Dane Baptist is that I am willing to, to accept that he has a different view. He does not believe that I should have my view or I should exist. That is a real problem. These are people who want to cancel and want to shut out other people who have a different opinion, and I won't stand for that. You are somebody who I think is seen as a bit of a divider rather than a conciliator, though, aren't you? (laughs) Given what the country's been through over the last six years, I wonder wonder whether that is a a good trait for a new prime minister. Um, I think it's a shame that people think that because that's not actually what I've been saying. What I do say is that we should not divide ourselves. We should not focus on the things that make us different, but focus on the things that make us the same. I tell people that I don't see skin color, I see individuals. I think looking at skin color all the time is divisive. So how can my saying that be divisive? It's, it's completely wrong-headed. Mm. It's very topsy-turvy. But people never believe that, do they? Because I, I, I've said that on the program in the yes. past. So, so, How could you possibly understand exactly. as a white man? They, they are wrong. They are wrong. They don't believe that because that's how they think. And they think that way, so they assume everybody else thinks that way. That's not true. People are different. There are some people who see skin color. There are some people who don't notice it. And we should be able to accept that rather than saying that the people who don't notice it are liars. Mm. Preach. I just really like the way she addressed all of that, and I think the Tory party is stronger having her in it, regardless of how this race to be the leader of the party goes. And I wanted to share that with you here on The Guy Benson Show. Final hour coming up. Cat Timp is with us. Fridays with Cat next.
It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Final hour of the broadcast week, our happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Glad to have you all here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is available every day on demand for free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Guy Benson Show. This weekend, I'll be on TV Sunday. In the morning and the evening, media buzz, and then with Trey Gowdy. Hope to see you on Fox News Channel then. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. I had one yesterday, as a matter of fact. It's so good. Very delicious. Check it out if you haven't already. They're expanding all across the country. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can find out where they're sold near you. You can order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. And with us now... From our New York headquarters is Kat Timpf, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld every weeknight at 11 on FNC, and co-host of the Tyrus and Timpf podcast. Hello, Kat. Hi. Hello. Hello, hello. So I see here on my rundown that you and Tyrus are taking your show on the road to Newark, New Jersey, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, not far from Prudential Center, which is where the New Jersey Devils play their hockey, my team. And you guys are going to, what, do your podcast before a live audience on September 23rd? So it's not exactly the podcast, although (laughs) what is our podcast, really? We never know what we're going to talk about. (laughs) We just sit down and we start talking, and it ends up going into crazy, insane directions. So, I mean, it's not (laughs) in that sense, sort of. Um, So it's, you know, Tyrus's book is out, been out. I'm going to interview him about the book. I'm going to do my own little thing. Uh, it's going to be just a live show. We're going to do some meet and greets also before the show. Uh, it's going to be like a really, really fun time. And, uh, you know, there will be a lot of surprises, even for us, um, in terms of... <laughs> so you don't <laughs> know what's coming. No, I mean, I, I think it's the most fun that way. Uh, I mean, well, that's we how have, we do the segments here, right? Yeah, like, exactly. We'll plan stuff, and then it just goes off the rails. Exactly. Like, we do have things planned, but it's also, you never know where it's going to go. We sit down and start talking to each other. So there are still tickets available, uh, ticketmaster.com. You can also, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter, links in my Instagram bio, um, and it's particularly for the meet and greets, there are a limited number of those available. So Okay. So Ticketmaster, an option, njpac.org, another option. You mm-hmm. can Google it. The pre-sale code is Tyrus, all one word, at njpac.org. That sounds fun if you're in the New York, New Jersey area or maybe you want to make a little bit of a road trip out of it. Again, that is September 23rd, Cat Timp and Tyrus together live in Jersey. Now, Cat, I did want to start with this question that we've been sort of debating back and forth during the home stretch segment for much of the week. Do you participate at all in Amazon Prime Days when they happen? No, because every day is Amazon Prime Day. Okay, it doesn't really matter. You're <laughs> no. you're a frequent online shopper. So this is the next more important question. Christine, our producer, yes. has an interesting habit where she will buy tons of stuff online 
have it all delivered to her house, then think about it for a while, and then return much of it. I think this is a crazy way to go about life. She contends that 90% of women do this. Do you agree with her? I should do it. I don't. I, I should return more than I do. But uh, I have, so you ever heard of the ADD, ADHD tax? So I have ADD, ADHD, and it, like there's a tax because of the, of various things. You'll forget, you know, to return things. That's a tax. The things that you end up losing, that's a tax. So um, really, I'm a victim. Can we can yeah. we cut this tax in any way? No, 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 we can't. Apparently, I should be able to actually say, hey, I have this uh, neurological difference that uh, I actually should get an extra few weeks to return this. Why are you, you know, discriminating? Uh, you discriminating? Yeah, it's actually it's a real thing. Like if uh-huh. you if you look it up, ADD, ADHD tax is like something that people talk about who do have ADD, ADHD. And boy, do I ever. Which leads me to my next question. Not really. But I don't want to make. Yeah, maybe well, you I don't just want... make it sound like a transition. Nobody will notice that it's not one. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just didn't want to make an offensive transition to this uh, topic. But I did see on your Instagram today that you posted or amplified a rumor about you that you claim is untrue. Right. But apparently the Internet seems to believe for some reason that you are with child. Yeah. And I, will... I just want to get your you get your hot take on this. Yeah. Are you pregnant? No, certainly not. It, uh, certainly not. <laughs> but I, I even there's all the bots decided that I was pregnant with sometime within the past 24 hours. Where even, like, I woke up this morning and Cam was like, babe, all the bots think you're pregnant today. <laughs> and you're like, what? Because of Google alerts. And I'm like, yeah, it's like all these different, like, bots. And I, I just think it's so funny the way these inter- internet-generated articles are written. Yes, they're like, so I weird. I can't stop laughing. at Like, that's why I posted it on my Instagram story. It's like, there are rumors that uh, I'm expecting a youngster and then the next <laughs> sentence is like, but we're going to say it's not true given the fact that there is no supporting data. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's no evidence whatsoever. No, like, what do, what do we, what's going on here? I've also um, have had people on Twitter saying that to me. I think that might be why because I haven't gotten highlights in my hair in over a year because I'm just – it takes too long and I don't care. Everyone's like, I love your new hair color. I'm like, funny thing about the new hair color. It's just my hair color. <laughs> yeah, it's the C-O-G. color of my hair. Yeah. And apparently you can't dye your hair when you first get pregnant or something. Yeah, I don't even know. That's how not pregnant I am. I don't even know what the pregnancy rules are. Like, I know you can't drink booze or you can. I mean, some people say you can have like a glass of wine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I had my four ounces of wine. Yeah, I that's what I heard every yeah. week. But I, that's that's how how not pregnant I am is I don't even fully understand what the rules are. The bot-generated stories are always very strange to me because yes. there's just constant misspellings yes. and total inaccuracy. So yes. at some point there were articles, quote-unquote, written about me that were answering all these questions. Yes. Apparently people, i.e. no one, right. might have about me, like my height, yes. my income, my net worth, all of this. And it was all laughably wrong. It's yes. like he's 5'9 and worth $5 million. I'm like, you know what? I might take $5 million to be 5'9". Right? Yeah. And, and, and it turns out that's not true. Uh, there was like, does Guy Benson have a girlfriend or wife? They said maybe false. Uh, yeah. Uh, they at one point had Wouldn't it be a funny photo. if you did, though? Well, you know, it would be, uh, it'd be unexpected. That would be yeah. a plot twist in all of this. At one point, I had posted a selfie with the middle Jonas brother. I think that's Joe because I ran into him just at an event randomly at a restaurant. And so I was that guy because the Jonas Brothers grew up 
a few towns away from me in New Jersey. So I went to say hello, snapped a selfie. And one of these bot articles then suggested that this was my boyfriend. And oh, I was yes. Definitely not going to deny that. I get Even that. though it was, in fact, false. Yeah, I get that all the time. Like, sometimes, like, it'll be like, they, there's no, whenever I post a picture with a man, that man is my husband. Uh-huh. Be it my husband or be it Keith. Uh, like, it, he's, you know, he has a boyfriend. He's not my husband. Um, and my favorite, though, is like, like you said, when, like, the math doesn't math. There was one that was like, Kat Timpf is worth $5 million, and she has amassed her fortune from her salary at Fox News, which is $50,000 a year. <laughs> it's like, You've been there a long yeah, time. Exactly. I'm like, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I know how to multiply. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a math whiz, but the, the math doesn't math there. I think you and I have taken a number of photos, which means, of course, number one, we're married. Number right, two— we normally have other people take the photo of us. Have we ever selfied? I ask this because there is a story, actually, foxnews.com had it in the lifestyle section, mm. about people putting their own lives at risk to take dramatic selfies, like at the Grand Canyon and stuff or on mountains. And I am very much in favor of taking lots of photographs. I'm a millennial. I do it. I Yes, I like selfies. But not to the extent, not to the point where I would feel in any way physically imperiled. No. And people have died that way. Yes. Like people have actually died that way. And that's the most one of the most humiliating ways you can die. Yeah. And, you know, I guess you wouldn't know. But that always bums me out. Like when I die, like I'm not going to get to read all the social media tributes. You know, like why do you always post tributes after people die? Would you consider and just hear me out? I would not. But this seems maybe like something you might do. Would you consider faking your own death, or at least allowing a rumor like from the bots to percolate or to circulate just for, for like a day. I mean, you're talking you to the girl on social. You're talking to and, the girl who threw her own funeral already. I did. I remember <laughs> for your thirtieth birthday. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah so, I made my then, dad give me a eulogy. <laughs> you sit back and you just watch the tributes come pouring in. Then you come back and be like, oh, surprise, actually, I was never gone. And I have some thoughts. This was beautiful. This could use some work. We're no longer friends. I mean, I feel like this would be not something you would rule out. The only thing stopping me from it is that I would be connected to it. Like if there was a way for me to disappear and like nobody ever finds out I orchestrated it. Then, well, of course you orchestrated it. But, but that's the problem. <laughs> that's, <laughs> is it? That's the one thing stopping me because it sucks, right? You know, everybody like always tells you like, oh, you know, like, that, wow, like she'll be, she's irreplaceable. She'll be sorely missed. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm already dead, bro. I can't read it, bro. Mm-hmm. It's really, really awful. I wonder who would replace you in that chair on Gutfeld. I really, They'd have it empty for like one show as a tribute. Then it'd be on to the next one. Yeah, probably. I don't, I, I don't know. I really am irreplaceable. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, I mean, we have Fridays with Cat for a reason. I am irreplaceable. I don't know if that's, I mean, depending on who you talk to, that's either good or bad. <laughs> right, exactly. But I think it's true. And, and then some people are sort of like, yeah, a little bit of both. It's a mixed, a mixed verdict, like from Cam, for example, right? It's sort of like good and bad, irreplaceable. Oh, yeah, I know. He loves when all the, you know, the men on the... The, the old men, I, like, that's my fan base is, like, old men. If, like, if you don't know who I am, ask your grandpa, you know? And they're always like, if I were only 50 years younger and, like, the Internet guys hit, hit on me and he's like, they don't know what I put up with. <laughs> well, but I will tell you, and I know I think last time you were here doing the segment, I told you that I had this Backstreet Boys concert yes. that I was going to. So we went. We had a great time. We met 
Brian and his wife backstage, and I'm going to tell you this. Do you know what he told me? You know what he said to me when he came backstage after he was all, like, you know, changed and everything? What? He said, I love you on Gutfeld. <gasps> and then we started chatting, and you have a fan. You're kidding. I am a not A Backstreet kidding. Boy? A Backstreet Boy watches Gutfeld. That is wild. Yeah, if and I, that's you. If I could have known that in the second grade, I, know, right? I would have just sobbed. <laughs> joy. Joy. I assume, yeah. I was already sobbing, but none of it was joy. <laughs> this would be a better That is one, a wild. Yeah. Wow. So I'm a Backstreet Boy to him. <laughs> well, that's a bit much. I'm not sure he would have ever sobbed. I don't know. You know, in reverse. It's possible. Maybe you can have a chance to ask him at one point. In fact, I should text you about something. Remind me, Kat, off the air. Before we let you go, I don't want to miss this because we wanted to sort of bring back, just for a moment, Sincerely Kat. Okay. Will you dole out life advice? Producer Christine needs some help. We will get to that right after this break. It is the happy hour. It is the Guy Benson Show with Kat Timpf. Guy Benson will be right back. It's the Guy Benson Show. The happy hour with us is Cat Timp, and it's time for Sincerely Cat. Producer Christine has a dilemma. She is wrestling with an idea that's a bit polarizing. She needs some advice. Christine? Hello, Cat. Hello. So I am about to turn 41 years old on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I've decided I want to get a tattoo yeah. for the first time ever. Yeah. And my husband has many tattoos, a full sleeve. He is telling me no. He said, you do not want to do this. It's such a permanent thing. You don't like permanent things. I'm advising against this. But I really feel it's time. Do like it. A, really? Absolutely. I don't have any tattoos, but when my cat dies, which I'll, I'm hoping will never happen, but if he, do, if he does, I'm going to get his ashes sterilized and mixed with ink and tattooed into my body. So we'll always be together. But would you have it like... Wow. Someone, no, I'm serious. But someone keeps saying <laughs> to no, me, I well... Know. <laughs> That's why I said, wow. <laughs> People keep saying, well, do it somewhere you could hide it. But, like, why would I do that then? Why, I, I, if I want to get a tattoo, it's probably because I want to see the tattoo. I Like, obviously, like, I would do it. Because it's not like you're, like, you know, usually when you're 41, you're, like, you're, you're not, like, you're not going to really change that much. Like, if I would have gotten a tattoo when I was, like, 18, I would have got some dumb tattoos. Right. You know, like you're not you're not dumb. You know no, what? I'm you know who you are. I'm doing something. My father passed away when I was younger, so I was thinking of like angel wings or something like that, like right on my wrist or like right on the top. I of think my the foot. wrist is cute and the I think foot it's so is cute. cute. Yeah, I wouldn't get spread eagle wings on your back. No. <laughs> <laughs> or do or do no? I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I'm not getting the Christine. lower back tat. Yeah, Let's just say that time is coming. Get a, get a on. tram stamp in honor of your dead father. Yeah, no, oh I would. I would not gosh. recommend that. I would not recommend that. I think that's great. Oh boy, do that. So my mother, I spoke to her about this. She's very traditional. She did say she would write me out of the will if oh, I did get a. Tattoo. When I mentioned my cat tattoo idea to my dad, you know what my dad said to me. I, I think I mentioned this on Godfelt. He said, Catherine, if you love me, please wait until I die. My mother said that too. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but again, it's like you have a Christine, job. Christine, though, but here's the thing, Kat. Yeah. Christine gets very easily bored of things. So she yeah. can be all excited about it, and then she'll look at it a month later and say, I hate it. So I think it should be maybe like a tattoo that she gets progressively over the course of a decade where it grows so she knows there's another thing that she'll be looking at next time she goes in to get the punch card. 
so she won't get bored of it over the course of the decade. Or she could just do a tribute to Carousel, the pony that she had killed earlier in her life. That might be penance to get a Carousel tattoo, Christine, that you have to look at every day, maybe on your face. I did not kill my pony. I just sent it away. I didn't like it. I hear you. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I just think that that's if you're getting something to honor your dad who passed away, it's not like you're getting like a Dave Matthews band tattoo, you know, when you're in college. You're like, it's not like you're going to suddenly no longer be sad or like (laughs) miss your dad. So I don't think that'll be something that you change your mind about. I don't think so either. And now I'm going away the week after next. I was thinking of doing it on vacation. I would do it. I say go for it. I also would like to do it since Guy is one of my best friends, although he doesn't feel the same. I was thinking maybe him and I could do it together. Yeah. Why do you hate her dad, Guy? Get your ta- get, get a matching tattoo. About her father? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I'm a hard no on that. And wow. all tattoos Dis- just Deeply disrespectful. Well, look, it's, it's unrequited best friendship. It's a One Direction thing, and that's fine. I would not advise her to get You can have tattoo. some of my jeans ashes if you want to, when he dies, if you want to get a jeans tat. You know, I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> and, you know, I'll do this. I will, how, how can I reverse psychology this? You know what, Christine? Yes, I advise you to get a tattoo. Why? Why do you say that? Because you never listened to my advice and now you won't. I'm going to have to rethink this whole thing. Yeah, so get your tattoo, Christine. It's very important. All right, and and let's see how that works. And also keep in mind, he's speaking from a position of two-parent privilege. That's true. I I don't have that. You don't have that. No, I don't. So so why don't you just uh, check your privilege, guy? (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) Call both your parents. (laughs) Uh, They're probably listening right now. Yeah, hey, guys. Yeah, (laughs) all right, we got to go. This says... As I said, it goes off the rails, and so it has. Cat yeah. Timp, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, exclamation point, every weeknight at 11 p.m. She also has the Tyrus and Timp podcast. They're not recording a podcast, but they're appearing together live in the flesh for lots of laughs. It's going to be so fun. September 23rd, September 23rd, 923, at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. You can get your tickets now. Cat, happy weekend. Happiest weekend to you. And we will take a break and be right back. On the happy hour, it's the Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Almost to the weekend together. Thank you so much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast. That's every day. Earlier in the show, we talked to Brian Riedel at the Manhattan Institute on inflation, Democrats in disarray, and more. Here's part of that discussion. The fundamentals of this election are what they are because of the issues that you're an expert on. And you're at the Manhattan Institute now. You worked for many years on Capitol Hill as a budget wonk, an economic expert. And that's why we wanted to bring you in at the very top of today's show, because it has been a dominant story. You looked at the CPI inflation number on Wednesday, worse than expected, 9.1% increase uh, year over year, and actually a pretty big monthly jump as well. Then you got the wholesale prices side yesterday, also up more than expected, over 11% year over year, June to June, and it's just ugly out there for the American people. Brian, I want to play for you a few sound bites of what we're hearing from the administration as they try to react to these body blows, yet more bad news for the American people with polling showing deep dissatisfaction and people 
blaming uh, the Biden administration in large measure for what's happening. Let's start with Cut 17 and Brian Dees, who's one of the economic advisors over there in the Biden administration. Here's what he said trying to tamp down concerns over these crooked inflation numbers that came out just this week. Listen to Cut 17. Well, the first thing that I would say is that for that uh, family that's, uh, that is, uh, is thinking about uh, gas at the pump, that uh, one of the things that has happened is over the last 30 days, the, the price of gas has fallen every day. It's about down about 45 cents uh, since it peaked in mid-June. Uh, that wasn't fully reflected in the CPI data for June that came uh, out yesterday. And so that, that data is inherently backward looking. The data is backward looking. Well, well, yes, I mean, it is the June numbers, but it is also the latest batch of data that we have available. Uh, Brian, what do you make of that answer there from Brian Dees? Well, you know, gasoline, uh, even with the drop, that means that in the last 12 months, instead of growing 60 percent, it's grown 48 percent in the last 12 months. So I'm not sure, you know, we're ready to declare victory that it's only up 48 percent. The other thing is, you know, every week or every month before the inflation numbers come out, we're told the worst is over. You know, wage growth has slowed, which, by the way, is generally bad news for a lot of us, not good news. They'll say wage growth has slowed, commodities Prices are slowing. The worst is over. And then we get hit with another worst month. Um, I mean, as you mentioned last month, if you just annualized the rate of price growth the last month, it would be 16% for the year if we just annualized last month. But we keep getting told the worst is over. And like I said, saying that, you know, instead of growing 60% in the past year, it's grown 48%. You know, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Yeah, and that's the thing. Gas prices... He can say, oh, it's down 40 or whatever he said, 45 cents per gallon. Well, it's still like four fifty, four seventy, five dollars five twenty. I just paid, I think, 540-something the other day for a gallon of gas. Yesterday, I believe, if I recall correctly. I mean, these are astronomical numbers. And to say, oh, well, they've come down a little bit, and so it's old data and it's not reflected. I mean, number one. That's the best and most recent data that we have. Number two, even if you, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, my understanding is even if you clear out and totally ignore gas prices and energy prices and a few other uh, painful points on inflation, and you just look at the core inflation number, clearing out some of these things that they say, you know, aren't being taken into account enough, the core inflation number is extremely elevated and hugely problematic even without that stuff, correct? Correct. Correct. Core inflation is up 6% over the past uh, 12 months, and last month it grew at about a 9% annualized rate. That's excluding volatile energy and food prices. At this point, uh, inflation is broad-based. Airline flights, restaurants, uh, groceries, gas, energy, clothes, cars, used cars, you know, just kind of dismissing it as one area or that area. It's really, it's going across the economy. Good services, everything. Meanwhile, we have the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who's traveling abroad. She was asked about the double whammy of inflation numbers, CPI and PPI, back to back, both terrible, historically bad, 40-year highs, Worse than expected, and the expectations were already ugly. Her answer in Cut 19 was this. Our greatest challenge today comes from Russia's illegal and unprovoked war against Ukraine. That was reflected in yesterday's CPI data, which showed almost half of the increase coming 
from higher energy prices. Inflation in the United States remains unacceptably high, and it's our administration's top economic priority to bring it down. So she starts with Putin. She goes, it's mostly energy prices and sort of pointing the finger of blame at Putin, although you were just talking about core inflation. And, of course, inflation is going up and up and up and up inexorably ever since Joe Biden was sworn in long before there was the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And you just listen to those talking points, Brian, and it's sort of the same thing every month. It's still unacceptably high. In fact, it's higher, despite what Joe Biden says regularly. It is higher here in the United States. Inflation is hotter here in the U.S. than it is in a lot of other advanced countries, even though Biden falsely contends the opposite a lot of the time. And some of that certainly has to come down and boil down to policy. And that's what they don't want to acknowledge, even though some of their more honest, clearly left-leaning Democratic economists have really had no choice but to bow to that reality, whether it's Larry Summers or Steve Ratner or Jason Furman, a few others. Your reaction to what you just heard there from the Treasury Secretary? Yeah, this is what the White House and the administration has been saying for over a year. It's transitory. It's going to go away. It's crescendoed. The worst is over. You know, prices are going to come down soon. They've been saying this for a year and a half, um, and, and it, it, it just ends up being empty rhetoric. But as you point out, don't listen to the rhetoric. Look at the policies. The White House has offered virtually nothing policy-wise to reduce inflation. I had an op-ed in yesterday's New York Post exploring the fact that the Democrats have offered no actual specific legislative or regulatory agenda whatsoever to reduce inflation. All they're doing is trying to play the blame game. And in fact, they're trying to push more spending through Congress. They're still limiting oil and gas. They're trying to increase regulations and red tape. They're adding Buy America and Davis-Bacon regulations. They're adding ethanol regulations. For all of their talk about fighting inflation, not only are they offering no solution, they're actually pursuing policies to worsen it. So when the White House says, oh, fighting inflation is our top priority, then how come virtually every economic policy they're pursuing worsens inflation? My full interview with Brian Riedel and the entire show, start to finish, on demand, it is free, as I mentioned, at GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's every day, on demand, no charge, including bonus Benson on the weekends. When we come back the home stretch, oh, we have some things to discuss. It's a Friday, so we'll really let loose, I think. Stay tuned. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch. Friday edition on the Guy Benson Show. And if you're listening live on the broadcast, we are once again playing the Jaws theme song because of this topic. GuyBensonShow.com is our website here. Podcast is always free. And I'll remind you that I'll be on Media Buzz and Trey Gowdy's show this weekend, Sunday, on Fox News Channel. But let's talk about sharks. We were going to maybe bump in with Baby Shark, but that got vetoed by Dan the engineer and that's the right call because it's an earworm and very annoying so we nixed it but it might play into the conversation i've been up in cape cod recently including last week on vacation we talked about that and producer christine ahead of that vacation was very concerned about sharks 
because great white sharks are often seen off of Cape Cod, including just recently over at Nauset Beach, not far from where my parents live. And I assured her that it would not be a problem. I was not going to spend much time in the water. I was not going to go in very deep. And generally, I think they've tagged most of the sharks so they know where they are. There's not a huge risk. And if anything, Christine should be more worried about people maybe in her neck of the woods, Jersey, Long Island, because there have been not just shark sightings up there, but also shark attacks recently. I think there was just one the other day. A guy, I think a tourist, got bitten by a shark, survived. Just a nightmare. But that seems to be the hot spot. That's sort of like ground zero of shark-related in-water violence, more so than up in Cape Cod. And, Christine, we were talking about this on the planning call for the show today, and sort of out of nowhere, Quiet Wyatt, who's in New Jersey right now, he just let us know that he's been going into the ocean a lot. He was in the ocean last night, apparently, by himself, no lifeguards. He was thinking about going in, he said this morning, on his very early constitutional around 4.30 a.m., where he goes out to meet the delivery truck for the Wall Street Journal so he can read it cover to cover. And, Christine, you seemed a little bit taken aback by Wyatt's attitude over sharks and the Jersey Shore. Well, first, I just want to say, and I'm putting it out there because I'm a mother and I worry about these things, uh, YY should not, and I repeat, not be going into the ocean unless there is a lifeguard on duty. That is very, very dangerous. So we're going to fix that. We're going to change that, YY. No more. No more going into the water without a, a you know, somebody Is it there. really that dangerous? Like yes. If there's a riptide and it's high tide or something, that's inadvisable. But if it's like just, why were you going all the way in deep or are you just sort of splashing around in shallow water? I mean, I was I was in the water, so I, I mean, I mean, I felt safe. There were other people in the water. I was with other people, and there were other people that were in in the water as well. Okay, and you were not worried. You were telling us about sharks. However, you have this weird sort of—I don't want to call it a fantasy—but you were sort of throwing out the idea of maybe it wouldn't be so bad if you got attacked by a shark. What? We, we need to correct the record on this. I just said that I think it would be a story. So I'm not afraid to go in the water. I know there's a lot of people who are, are scared with all these shark attacks going on. They don't want to go in the, in the water. And, and we had a conversation not too long ago about going into the, into the water at the beach. And, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. And, and, I, and I was like, you know, I saw the news stories, and I, I know people are a little freaked out, but I have no problem going in. And I was just – thinking that it you know if it happens if you were to get attacked by a shark like a little nibble you know that's what basically most of these attacks are (laughs) people survive it's not like a great white shark that's coming to you know really take you under it's usually just a shark that's nipping at your feet and that would that would be a story i mean you could tell that story for the rest of your life yeah i got attacked by a shark and i think that would that would be an interesting story to have So I believe, if I'm not misremembering, and Christine, you can back me up here, I believe you said on the call today that you would consider being willing to lose a toe in a shark attack in order to get the story. Is that accurate? Did you say that? I'm I'm not going to confirm or deny if I said that. Oh, Christine, he's... 
He said whoa, that, whoa, didn't he? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Whoa, 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 Wyatt. Um, you were backtracking completely from the meeting. Completely. Yes. Water Wyatt, or Water Wyatt, <laughs> said that he would lose a toe in a shark attack because it would be a good story. And I'm like, look, I, I very much support and appreciate commitment to the show and to the bit and providing good fodder for the home stretch. I'm not sure we need to go so far as to risk an encounter with a shark that would probably involve blood and some degree of dismemberment. Yes, it would be a story for this show that you could tell, you know, the grandkids one day. I just feel like we can maybe back off a little bit from that one. I can understand maybe why Wyatt is retreating slightly rhetorically from that, because a, that's a bit much, Wyatt. I, I think I would settle for if, if I got the front page cover of the New York Post. I think that is where I would settle for a story, you know, like why why gets attacked by shark, but I want it front page on the New York Post. Preferably the Local, Wall Street Journal, but I was going to say the journal because you would you would probably survive the attack by beating the shark away with a rolled up copy of the journal, which you would have with you in the ocean, obviously. So it sounds like you're doing some bargaining here, like you would be willing to lose a toe and have a shark draw blood in an ocean attack if that attack put you on the cover of the post. I'm hearing this correctly, am I not? Maybe. I mean, it, like I said, it, it depends. Like if they had a good headline wow. and it was all all good, I, it would be maybe be worth it. I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, look, I'm going to turn this around on Christine. I mean, that is some really strong commitment to the show and our hashtag content here. Do you have that level of commitment, Christine? Sure, you'll wear ridiculous costumes and tell us all of your secrets that you normally reserve for your array of therapists, of which I am one, unlicensed, uncompensated. Would you put yourself in physical danger in the ocean for the Guy Benson show, for the happy hour, for the home stretch? I will have my daughter lose her childhood home and sell it before I get bitten by a shark for this show. Well, you've already oh, wait, done I that. I did that. Right? Yeah, you've checked that box already. So what's next? It's always uh, no. what's next, Christine. What no. have you done for me lately? Why it's willing to sacrifice parts of limbs? I've got for this plans. Show. I've got plans. Um, yeah. I risk my marriage every day on this show. Well, that actually is true. That's a that's a pretty big thing that you are willing to maybe not sacrifice, but but put on the line. So okay, I'll give you that. Uh, do you have any last minute like motherly scolding to do? I, I'm just no, I'm just a little disappointed because he literally said on the call, it's a little nibble on a toe. <laughs> yeah, no, and and that's what he he reiterated it here, and we were just sort of blown away because usually Wyatt is just a very calm, even keeled, thoughtful person. He's sort of the counterweight to producer Christine on the show when it comes to content. And it's a rare circumstance, maybe the first time ever, that Christine and I are both like, whoa, what, what happened to Wyatt? What did he get up and do this morning? I think the answer is he had an extra cup of coffee because he's back in the old neighborhood at his favorite spot. So maybe he was just like, you know, feeling himself, a little hyped up on the Rook coffee and started entertaining the idea of a, uh, a shark attack for a greater cause, a cause greater than himself, namely home stretch content. And so, I, you know, I have to respect that even though I was taken aback. I was a little surprised that this was coming from Wyatt and not Christine. This seems like a Christine scheme, quite frankly. Physical harm? No, I don't think well, so. Well, 
just like something obviously facially crazy. See, the thing is, the stuff that I talk about is real. Like, I'm actually putting my real life out there. I want to see YY go down to the shore right now and call us from the beach. Well, I think he probably is at the shore. He could probably walk over there right now and call you. I mean, you know, call upon the sharks and see what happens. Here, sharky, sharky, shark. YY needs some content. No. Maybe you could, like, do the little clown nose from YY the Clown. Now we're getting very deep. This is deep. just crazy. These are some these are some deep pulls now from the Wyatt archive. So let's just let's put an end to it because we're out of time anyway. It is the weekend. Please go out and enjoy it. Be safe in the water or anywhere else. We'll be back here on Monday on the radio, TV, Media Buzz and Gowdy on Sunday on Fox News Channel. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to the Guy Benson show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.